Our second reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 29 through 44. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of the power they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. As he came near the city and saw it, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden for your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we have come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday. And in case you didn't know it, Palm Sunday is kind of a big deal. Palm Sunday is mentioned in all four Gospels. And if you look through the four Gospels, you'll see that that makes it by itself kind of a big deal because not many things are mentioned in all four Gospels. Christmas, it gets two Gospels. Raising Lazarus from the dead, that's only in the Gospel of John. The, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the good, the parable of the good Samaritan, that's only in Luke. Turning water into wine at the wedding, that doesn't make all four either. But Palm Sunday makes all four. 
It's in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So what makes Palm Sunday so important? On Palm Sunday, Jesus reveals the type of Messiah He's going to be. Earlier this year, my niece was born. My youngest brother, his second child, my first niece after three nephews. And he was very excited to welcome Jolene into the world. But with two children, some painful realizations became evident. His pickup truck wasn't going to cut it anymore. Their Prius was getting a little tight. And so this past week, he swallowed his pride and did what he swore he would never do and bought a minivan. Now, we're often identified by what type of car we drive, and driving a minivan says something about you. When it was time for Heather and I to buy a minivan after Hannah was born, I had no problem with that. I figured I'm a pastor. The cool ship sailed a long time ago. (laughs) But you get certain images of people who drive a minivan or a Prius or a Humvee. You picture different people who drive certain types of cars, whether that's true or not. And this was true in Jesus' days, not cars, obviously. But what they rode. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. This was in contrast to the war leaders and the generals and the people in power who often rode into cities on huge war horses. Instead, Jesus rides on a pack mule, an animal meant for service. And he tells us everything that we need to know about who Jesus is. That Jesus isn't here to reign over us with military might, with an iron fist, but to serve us, to work for us, to love us. And the multitude of disciples saw this and they cheered and threw down their cloaks and they waved their palm fronds and they yelled, Hosanna to the King. It was so much that the Pharisees got scared because Roman military leaders were entering on war horses at the other side of the city. And if they heard this, they would think it was an insurrection and they'd bring their military might against Jerusalem. So they told Jesus to silence your followers. Jesus said if they were to be quiet, the rocks would sing out. That this is such a holy moment that God's praises must be sung. And if human voices won't do it, then nature itself will cry praises to God. I've always been struck by that verse that even the rocks would sing out. Even the stones. But you hold that in contrast with the next time Jesus mentions stones just a few verses later. As Jesus comes to Jerusalem, he begins to weep. He weeps because he knows the city will reject him. He knows that they won't listen to the things that cause peace. He knows that eventually the temple will be destroyed and not one stone will be left upon another. What is the message that those stones say? Jesus talked about the things that bring peace. And he wept 
This hasn't been a good week for the things that bring peace. We don't live in a good time for things that bring peace. I have no doubt that Jesus still wept, weeps. He wept then for Jerusalem. He weeps today for Egypt, for Syria, for Sweden, for London, for the Sudan, for Nigeria. The list is long. And Jesus weeps. I think it's fascinating that Luke weaves these two pieces together. The exaltation of the crowd, the cheering, the crying of Hosanna, praise to the king. And Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. That strikes me as so real. Because so often in life, the heights and the depths are woven together. Sometimes they even depend upon one another. We have to go through the heights to get to the depths. We have to go through the depths to get to the heights. Since Christmas, I've been slogging my way through the biography of Alexander Hamilton. And when I say slogging, if you've seen it, the book's about this big, 720 dense pages. But it's fascinating, and I'm not a quitter, so I am going to finish it. And I just finished reading about when Alexander Hamilton published the famous Reynolds uh, pamphlet in which he admits to years of adultery with Mariah Reynolds. And how his wife, Eliza, was devastated. And her sister comforted him that because she married such a great man, that the cost of admission was some pain. That they flew too close to the sun, that there was bound to be some burning. I think that's the case with Christ. We can't have the heights without the depths. We can't walk with Christ and experience the joy of His love without experiencing the pain of His rejection. Remember where it is that we go from here. From here we go to Monday, Thursday, where we have a meal remembering that Christ sat around a table with people He loved and blessed them. And one of them betrayed Him. We go from here to the depths of Good Friday where Jesus was given a mockery of a trial and put to death in one of the most excruciating manners available. And then we go to the heights of Easter morning when the tomb is empty, when Christ is risen. And it's an emotional roller coaster. It's highs and lows, but so is life. And Christ is there with every dip and every rise along the way. Years ago, I taught myself to play the piano. That's something I don't usually share because people say, oh, well, you should play during worship, and I am not that good. I know like a couple of Air Supply songs that I taught myself in junior high. Maybe a Richard Marks song. And when I first taught myself, I only learned the right hand. 
And I could only play chords, and my left hand would just sit there, maybe keeping a beat. And the music sounded empty. You'd have the melody, you'd be able to pick out the song, but there wasn't the fullness of it. You need the high notes and the low notes to make a beautiful melody. And that's what Holy Week gives us. Holy Week gives us the high notes of following Christ, of cheering Him into Jerusalem, of knowing that the tomb will be empty. But we have the low notes of His betrayal, His trial, His crucifixion. And all of these weave together to make a beautiful melody telling of the brokenness of humanity. And the love of God is shown in Christ that redeems us to this very day. Now and forevermore. Amen.